Hello, and welcome to episode 36 of the Bible Q&A with Pastor Stephen. My name is Stephen Pace, and I'm the senior pastor at Decatur Bible Church in Decatur, Michigan. This podcast attempts to answer Bible questions in a clear but thorough manner. If you would like to have a Bible-related question considered for a future episode, you can email me your question to pastorstephendbc at gmail.com. Again, that's pastorstephendbc at gmail.com. In this episode, we'll once again be looking at three Bible-related questions, so grab your Bibles and let's get started. Now, for our first question for this episode, Pastor, what is meant by the I am statements of Jesus? Again, let me repeat the question, Pastor, what is meant by the I am statements of Jesus? So, to start with, in order to answer this, it's good to start with the Old Testament and the way in which God reveals himself there. Uh, Of course, he does so in many ways, but in relation to this particular question, this is rooted back to Exodus 3.14. If you remember back in Exodus 3.14, this is a situation dealing with Moses. And Moses needs to if you will, tell the Israelites who it is, in fact, that sent him. And God says, tell them, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Again, that's Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. So what you have is, initially, you have in Judaism, uh, in other words, through the Old Testament, Whenever there was a statement, I am, it was unquestionably understood to be one of the titles or probably better said to be one of the names of God. So if you ever studied any of the names of God, one of those you would likely study would be I am. God simply is who he is. There's really no way to fully describe him, uh, which is sort of the point in Exodus 3.14. But then what does that have to do with the original question, which is, what are the I am statements of Jesus? Essentially what you have is, these would be, if you will, metaphorical or descripting statements. And these statements describe various aspects of who Jesus is, but they also are ways in which Jesus is declaring himself or revealing his deity. So whenever Jesus makes a, what we'll look at in just a few minutes, an I am statement, he is claiming certain attributes of deity. Uh, He's claiming and identifying himself as God. And these statements, there there are seven of them, they are found in the Gospel of John. And very suited for that, because in John's Gospel, the primary point of the Gospel is to, through various signs and so forth, to reveal to people who read the book that Jesus is indeed the Christ and so forth. And you actually find this in John chapter 20. It says that the purpose was, in John 20 verse 31, 
but these have been written, the these is the signs that are contained in the gospel itself, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in his name, you have eternal life. So again, John's purpose is to reveal Jesus as God, and a really good way is through these I am statements. I'm going to give these to you, and then you can look at them if you want to on your own. Um, these are all in the Gospel of John, so for brevity's sake, I'll just mention the chapter and verse. The first I am statement is in John 6:35. He says, I am the bread of life. So that's chapter 6, verse 35. He then states in chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Chapter 10, verses 7 and 9, he says, I am the gate. And then later in chapter 10, so again, in chapter 10, this would be the fourth one. Chapter 10, verses 11 and 14, he refers to himself as, I am the good shepherd. Then in chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. So that's in the section there with Lazarus. And then you have two more statements that are in the Upper Room Discourse. John, of course, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then the last one is still in the Upper Room Discourse, chapter 15, verse 1, verse 5, I am the true vine. So there again you have the seven statements, Jesus declaring his deity, but also various aspects of his character. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He is the gate. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's also the true vine uh, there in John 15. So those are the seven I am statements, and those re reveal different aspects of who Jesus is, but of course they are unmistakably declaring Jesus from his own mouth in his own words that he is God in the flesh which again is exactly the point of the Gospel of John so the answer is fairly clear that the seven statements or the I am statements those are meant to confirm from Jesus's own mouth that he is divine he is deity he is God in the flesh but that it also describes various characteristics or aspects of his character, of his nature, of his person, if you will. So hopefully that clarifies that one. Now let's move on to the second question. The second question for this episode is a true or false question. And the question is related to Moses. Did the Lord ever give Moses leprosy for a period of time? So again, the true-false question is, did the Lord ever give Moses leprosy for a period of time? Now, to answer that question, of course, you could easily just guess and say true or false, but in order to actually come to the right answer, we'll actually need to turn to the book of Exodus. And Exodus chapter 4 and the answer is given in verses 6 through 7, and this chapter, chapter 4 of Exodus, relates to 
some objections Moses had uh, in terms of his, if you will, service and uh, what the Lord was asking him to do and was going to ask him to do. But in any case, the answer is in verse 6 and 7 of Exodus 4, The Lord furthermore said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he had taken it out, behold, his hand was leprosy like snow. Then he said, Put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again, and when he had taken it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. So clearly the answer to the question would be, Did the Lord ever give Moses for leprosy for a period of time, and albeit a very short, brief period of time, he did, in fact, show and give him that bout of leprosy, albeit for a very brief period of time. Now for our third and final question, we're going to be looking at defining a particular word, and this word it's not used very often, in fact, in the New Testament, really only used the Greek word twice, but it's a word that, uh, I think it's an encouraging word, it's good for us to know what it means, and I think you'll find it helpful, I hope. And the word in the question is, what is regeneration? So again, this third and final question is, what is regeneration? In other words, what is meant by the theological phrase, the term the biblical phrase meaning regeneration. The word itself means new birth, renewal, or to restore something. And one of the interesting things is, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, it's in fact only used twice uh, in terms of the Greek word. It's only used twice in the New Testament. If you would like to look the word up, you can find it used in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, and Titus chapter 3, verse 5. So again, the word regeneration, used only twice in the New Testament, uh, in the specific use of the word there, Matthew 19, 28, and Titus 3, 5. Of course, there's other teachings as we'll go through that speak to the particular subject. But in terms of defining what is regeneration, again, the word itself simply means new birth, uh, renewal, or restoration, or that's where we get the term from. It's used twice, Matthew 19, 28, and Titus chapter 3, verse 5. I'm going to, going to read from the Titus one, a uh, beautiful passage here. Uh, it begins in verse 4, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, beautiful passage there. Uh, in fact, we here at Decatur Bible Church started our study in Titus this past Sunday, July the 9th, and curiously enough, it does tie into the salutation in terms of the grace, the mercy of God, and His salvation coming to us. 
the hope that we have in the future, which is a hope of eternal life, and the hope comes from God who cannot lie, and so we can trust his promises. But in any case, the word regeneration is used there in chapter 3, verse 5, in terms of the washing of regeneration, the renewing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, regeneration, I'm going to read uh, another definition, or a definition for you, comes from Charles Ryrie's basic theology, and he says, regeneration means, quote, the work of God that gives a new life to the one who believes. Let me read that to you again. Ryrie's basic theology says regeneration is the work of God that gives new life to the one who believes. And I think he states that very simply, uh, very profoundly as well, because in the definition we see where salvation is completely wholly a work of God. But of course we have the believing aspect he incorporates into that definition. So when we think of regeneration, it's a work that God does. He washes, He cleanses us as we believe and trust in Christ and those sorts of things. So you see the aspect there of regeneration. Uh, I'm also going to read to you, this is from Warren Wearsby, and he says the word regeneration, in other words, born again, simply means the act of God by which new life is imparted to the person who trusts Christ as his Savior. Righteousness gives me a righteous standing before God. Adoption gives me an adult standing before God. But regeneration gives me the life of God, the nature of God in my very being. So this is really helpful as well. Because Wearsby, when he defines this, of course, he's still speaking of this general idea of that regeneration is the, if you will, renewal, the restoration, the born-again idea. But he clarifies some of the theological phrases that we use. Justification, that's our standing before God. We're declared righteous, we're adopted, and we stand before God as a child of God. But he's correct in pointing out that regeneration gives us that new life, if you will, that new nature. And you can tie that into, and if you haven't already, you can tie that into Nicodemus from John chapter 3. John, of course, records the dialogue with Nicodemus and Jesus. And Nicodemus says, what must I do to be, of course, regenerated, born again? What must I do to receive that gift of eternal life, uh, to enter into the kingdom and such? And Jesus says, of course, you must be born anew. You must have a new life imparted to you. And, of course, that comes about through faith in Christ. We receive that new life, that eternal life, in fact. Uh, John 5.24, good memory verse and a good tie-in and closure to this question says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into life. So when we speak of regeneration, we can think of it or when we hear it or the concept of it, as for instance in the passage in John 3, 
we can be reminded that regeneration is the new birth, the new life, the renewal, the restoration, taking the dead man, meaning spiritual deadness, and giving him new life. And of course, that new life is in Christ. And as we saw with Ryrie's statement, it's God's work in us once we believe in the free gift of salvation that he offers us through Jesus Christ. It's a work of God and it begins when we believe and trust in Christ. And may that be true of each one of us. So as we close out today's episode, hopefully this has helped clarify a few of these questions. Until then, I appreciate you taking time to listen. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Until then.